Good morning. Welcome to Grace Life Church. My name is Diane Hendricks, and I'm happy to be worshiping alongside of you today. Um, before we have our official Grace Life welcome, I say if um, today is your first time here, you can pick up a Connect card um, outside of our doors. You'll see 
There's an offering box there. We don't pass the plate here at Grace Life Church, but our members um, give, and the offering box is right outside. And also, um, there was some say, oh, if you are not here in person and you're online and you want to fill out a Connect card, text Grace Life to 94000 and you'll be added to our, our texting service. And then if there's um, a prayer need that you have, you can um, send it that way as well, or you can email us at contact at gracelifeflorida.com. But we're happy you're here, and we'd like to give you a welcome. We know that uh, we're all coming from different places, and that's one of the things I love about this welcome. To all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fall and need strength, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come, Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers you welcome. Father God, we thank you for this day. This is the day you have made, Lord. We will rejoice and be glad in it, Lord. Give us eyes to see and ears, ears to hear your truth today, Father. And we just trust you and thank you that you will meet our every need in Christ Jesus. Bless our time today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and worship this morning. My foes are many, they rise against me, but I will hold my ground. I will not fear the war, I will not fear the storm, my help is on the way, my help is on the way. And so my God, He will not my refuge and strength always. I will not fear His promise is true. My God will come through always. Chaos abounding, my soul will rest in you. I will not fear the war, I will not fear the storm, my help is on the way. My help is on the way. Oh my God, it will not delay my refuge and strength. Always, I will not fear. His promise is true. My God will come through. Always, always. <laughs> 
my eyes up, my help comes from the Lord. I lift my eyes up, my help comes from the Lord. I lift my eyes up, my help comes from the Lord. I lift my eyes up, my help comes from the Lord. Oh my God. My refuge is strength away. I will not fear. His promise is true. My God will come through. Always. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where the streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out on turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. When the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, oh, Blessed be your name. God, you give and take away. Give and take away, my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your glorious name. Lord, no matter what comes in our life, blessed be your name. And let us always remember that our soul is protected by you, God. And we have a blessed assurance and a hope that, that one day we'll be in heaven with no more pain or suffering, Lord. And anyone carrying stuff in here today, Lord, carrying baggage, Lord, I pray that they can just lay it down at your feet. I pray that we can remember that this pain and suffering is only temporary, and one day our future glory will be revealed to us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. of the cross I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary you the perfect holy one crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me blood has washed away my sin Jesus thank you Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once your enemy now seated at your table Jesus thank I've been brought near in me you think your friend pouring out the riches of your glorious grace 
mercy and for kindness know no way. Run, wash away my sin, Jesus saved. Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus saved. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus Lord God Almighty, 
Filled with wonder, awestruck wonder, at the mention of your name. Jesus, your name is power, breath and living water, such a marvelous the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. We praise you, Lord, that one day you will return. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are God, Lord. You are the almighty God. You are all powerful, all wonderful, and all true and all loving, Lord. Lord, I want to pray for Tommy as he delivers this message today, Father. In a time that is so dark and painful, Lord, we need it. And I just pray that we can receive it with open hearts and open minds. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Revelation 18 morning. We continue our worship in the reading of God's Word. Revelation 18, beginning of chapter, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a hunt for every unclean spirit, a hunt for every unclean bird, a hunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out from her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup that she has mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, and I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come as in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her as they see the smoke of her burning. 
They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for any single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys her cargo anymore. Cargo of gold and silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all of your delicacies and all of your splendors are lost to you, never again to be found. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand afar off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud, alas, alas, for the great city that, has clo that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all sh shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, all whose trade is on the sea, stood afar off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning, what city is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and they wept and mourned, crying out, alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships and sea grew rich by her wealth for any single hour she has laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven. And you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were great ones of the earth, and all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints, and all those who have been slain by the sword on the earth. Good morning, Grace Life Church. If I have not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Tommy, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Life, and I want to welcome you on behalf of our members and our leaders and our community. Um, I want, before I pray and get started with the, with the text that Cliff read, just a few housekeeping things. Number one, why are we not wearing masks here today? Um, well, for several reasons. I know that Daytona Beach has a mask mandate, and... I don't know if Lake Helen and Osteen do, but I know that Orange City does and Deland, where I live, does. But the Deltona City Commission met at a meeting and they voted to encourage mask wearing, but to not mandate it. So we want we want to follow that pattern. We have masks available in the front. If you feel more comfortable and safe wearing them, there's a lot of grace and peace at our church. And so we offer that to you. Uh, and just so you know, we we take your health and sanitation very serious. So we clean and sanitize all our toys. We are only offering child care up to age five at this point. Uh, and in talks with our staff, we're not sure when we're going to reopen the K through fifth, but we'll give you plenty of heads up before we do that and let our ambassadors know. So that's the issue with the mask. If you want to wear one of these, we have one in the, in, in the lobby. Um, 
And also, you know, next week I'm going to start a new series at this church. Uh, we're going to go through some select scriptures uh, and God's word, and we're going to talk about what does a church culture, what should it look like, and how should the gospel and the finished work of Jesus Christ shape and form the culture of a church. And I mentioned a really helpful book along those lines, and we offer this book as a free gift to every family in this church. And some of you weren't here and missed out on that. Uh, if, if that's you and you'd like to pick up a copy, one per family so that we have enough for everyone, um, see Diane or email her and you can get that. If not, I'm going to put this copy here and whoever comes and grabs it after the service, that's yours. And if you're a guest, you're certainly welcome to take a copy of this too. So uh, that's the housekeeping stuff for now. You can have this mask too. One more, one more item for those of you that know um, Scott Williams, his grandmother, Sharon Barton, uh, who has lived with he and Terry for some time. She's been battling a sickness. I believe it was cancer. And uh, she went home to be with Jesus uh, on early Friday morning. Her hope was Christ. She was one of his blood-bought children and redeemed, and her hope was in Jesus. Uh, and so please pray for that family as they mourn her passing and as they prepare to celebrate her life with a service next week. I know Scott and Terry would appreciate your prayers. So would you pray with me now and let's, uh, let's ask God to help us as we open his word and talk about Babylon today, okay? Heavenly Father, this is your day. You have made it and help us to rejoice in it. Help us to come to your word with great hope and expectation and excitement. Please remove anything that would hinder or distract us, Lord, that would inhibit us, that would prove an obstacle to us hearing and receiving, believing and obeying what we're going to hear from you today, Lord. May your Holy Spirit just come and, and, and fill our minds and hearts with truth, illuminate our, our mind to see and believe and to love the truth. Lord, we know that your word is like rain. It comes and it doesn't just uh, help the regular trees and the shrubs grow. It produces something brand new. It, it turns the thorns into, into to myrtles, Lord, and, and does something miraculous and transformative. And we pray that that would be the case today. We would leave here today, change people because of the power of your word and because of the beauty, the far surpassing beauty of Jesus and the heavenly Jerusalem and, and the bride that are going to come down from heaven that we're going to be a part of. So do the work that only you can do. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So you can open up your word to Revelation 18. We're going to camp out there today. Today's message is called Under the Influence. I'm not doing a series here. We're not going through the book of Revelation. If you've been coming here, you know that I've been doing some one-offs, uh, just dealing with topics God has been impressing on my heart to share with you. And I've always been intrigued with this passage, and especially since the pandemic hit, and it seemed like a lot of people were sad and a lot of people were mourning. They were mourning and lamenting that the normal had gone away. And I just saw so many parallels in the book of Revelation uh, with people lamenting and mourning things that had gone away. And it's not a strict parallel, but maybe as we look at this, we'll, we'll, we'll see some, some similarities here. It's interesting when you come to the book of Revelation, there is a blessing attached to this book. Uh, that I'm sure is attached to the whole Bible, but it's just mentioned at the very beginning. And the Apostle John, the Spirit of Christ through him, says, blessed are those who hear this book. And we just heard it, Cliff read it. Blessed are those who hear this, who read it, and who keep it. So that's been my prayer all week, is that the Spirit of God would help us to hear his word, 
to understand it and to obey it. And this is a really pivotal chapter in the whole book of Revelation. It really brings a lot of things together. And if you know anything about this book, you know that it's filled with symbolism, which is off-putting to some people, confusing to some people. They think, you know what? Revelation is just so challenging. It's so hard. It's so confusing. Why bother? Just forget it. But that's not true. It's, it's, maybe it is more challenging than some other parts of the Bible and other genres. But a lot of the book of Revelation interprets itself. It tells you what symbols mean. And that's the case here. But the primary and dominating symbol in this chapter that we're going to read about is obviously Babylon. It's Babylon. So we really have two major points I want to make today. Okay. I want to talk about Babylon and the doom of Babylon. Babylon has an expiration date. You heard that in the text. This great mighty angel with, with power and authority comes down and makes this declaration. And he says, Babylon, Babylon, great Babylon has fallen. It's no more. And at the end of the chapter, you see this, this vision this angel gives that Babylon is symbolized with this great big millstone that's picked up and heaved into the ocean and it sinks to the bottom and bubbles and, and disappears forever. And then you have this series of Babylon is no more, no more, no more. There's six times in the last part of this chapter, those words, no more. Babylon is done. It has an expiration date. It's going to be judged and it's going to disappear forever. So Babylon and its doom, that's point one. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that. And point two is our response. Because this is a powerful declaration. This is important truth. This is jarring. It's stirring. It's alarming. It's a little bit unsettling. Because apparently we're under the influence of Babylon in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And God is mercifully and urgently calling us to come out of her, my people. Come out of her. Be free of her. Escape. So we're going to talk about those two ideas. First, Babylon. And it's really important up front that I tell you this. It's really easy when we read about Babylon and this city to think, oh, okay. So at the end of the age... Uh, Babylon's going to be rebuilt, and a lot of Christians are going to be in this city, and God's going to tell them to escape. Well, duh, that's easy. Call a real estate agent, right? Change your zip codes and move. But that's not what is being talked about here in Revelation 18. If you know your Bible, you'll know that Babylon was at one time a city, a mighty empire, world-dominating civilization that spanned several centuries and was ruled over by different pagan kings. And that Babylon was destroyed. It was judged by God because of her cruelty, because of her violence, because of her unbelief, and a lot of other things that we'll talk about. That Babylon was prophesied. In fact, Jeremiah 52 and Isaiah 13 talk about that. And they say Babylon is going to be no more. No shepherds. You will never see another shepherd in her. You will never hear music in her. She will be destroyed and she will never reemerge as a geopolitical or uh, geographical world empire. So, in other words, this Babylon we're reading about is figurative, not literal. I want to make sure, are you guys all with me? So, this Babylon we're reading about, it's a symbol. The city symbolizes this dominant, pervasive spirit in the world today. It would be just another way for John to say there's worldliness everywhere and her influence is pervasive and ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And no Christian uh, is not in imminent danger of her. So we're talking about like the spirit of Babylon that's everywhere. It's a spirit of unbelief. It's a spirit of oppression. It's a spirit of deception. So those are the two points we're going to talk about. Babylon and her doom. 
and our response as Christians to that. So Babylon is not literal, it's, it's figurative. And you know, this is not the first time that Babylon appears on the pages of Scripture. It is interesting, though, the very beginning of history, there's a, a Babel that turns into Babylon, right? In Genesis 11. And then the very end of history, we see Babylon emerge again. And all in between, there's this epic battle between God's people and between demons and unbelievers. And it's all, it all takes place in part, as part of this Babylonian empire, so to speak. But in the very beginning, Babel was a tower. Do you remember in Genesis 11, God had given his people a specific command. Go fill the earth, multiply, and exercise dominion. They were supposed to, to scatter and spread out everywhere and exude this God-bearing influence everywhere. And instead they said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to defy God, and we're going to camp out right here on this plain, and we're going to build here. We're going to build a city. In fact, you remember the language they used? Let us. Let us build a city with a tower whose top reaches into the very heavens. And then there's this phrase, and this is really important. And they said, let us make a name for ourselves. You remember that? Let us make a name for ourselves. That is the spirit of Babel in a phrase. Making a name for ourselves. Self-indulgence. Just this self, uh, self-assertion. Independence from God. Declaration of independence from God. And to say, I will create my own identity. I don't need or want the identity that God gives me. I don't trust God for security, so I'll secure myself. I'll build a city. I'll build an empire. I'll make a great name for myself. That will be my comfort. That will be my security. That will be my fame. That's how Babel started, and that's how it's endured all through Scripture. Self-indulgence, fame, making a name for ourselves, security, and rejecting all of those things that God had already offered and re-offers in Christ better than Babel could ever offer it. So that's what Babel is all about. It's figurative. It's not literal. It's, it's spiritual. And all of us are subject to Babylonian influence. All of us are. That's why, I, that's why I've titled this message Under the Influence. Hopefully that would spark some curiosity. As a pastor, I'm always trying to do that. I want people to think. under the. Have you ever been under the influence? Now, don't raise your hand, okay? Don't answer out loud. Unfortunately, I have been under the influence. And I've shared my story with you. I have been intoxicated. And that's one, of the, that's one of the themes that run all throughout this chapter. Is that Babylon is like there's this wine. There's this Babylonian wine that all of the nations have drunk. Everyone has been influenced by Babylon. They've all drank the wine and they're loving it. You know what happens when you get intoxicated? Your judgment gets somebody starting to answer. No, 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 let me, let me talk. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what happens. I grew up in the South. Every time somebody said, hey, hold my beer, what was about to happen was not good, right? Your judgment gets clouded. You're impaired. You're inhibited. Being under the influence of alcohol, you know what it makes you feel? Invincible, secure, endorphins. Dopamine, all those things. You feel pleasure and excitement. You feel an invincibility that's false. It's false. You lose coordination. Your reflexes suffer. But you don't know that. You don't know that. You feel stronger than you've ever felt, right? It's deceitful. 
It's seductive. It's very dangerous. You do things when you're under the influence of alcohol that you would never do otherwise. Discernment goes right out the window. Did you know that 40% of violent crimes are connected to alcohol consumption? Now, look, this is not a sermon against drinking because the Bible is not against drinking. It's against drunkenness. Big difference. It's very easy to take something that was intended for good and to convert it. Not convert it, pervert it, right? Just like sex and alcohol and marriage. Anyway, that's another sermon for another day. When you are intoxicated with alcohol, you're in a very vulnerable and dangerous, dangerous situation. And that's a great description for the Bible to use. And I love the way that, that God uses illustrations so that he can connect with us and we get it. We get it, don't we? When I say under the influence, don't you get it? Those of you that are old enough to understand, unfortunately, what that means, right? It's like, that's not good. You are being guided by something you lose your ability to reason and to be rational and to have sharp reflex time. That's why you don't drive, because your coordination is off. Even your vision is impaired, and your hearing is impaired. Anyway, you get the point. So I just want to say, uh, Babylon, the spirit of Babylon, it's dangerous. It's dangerous, and I want to give you four reasons. Four reasons that Babylon is dangerous. Reason number one, Babylon is attractive. It's attractive. Another word that I could use, I guess, is impressive. You know that ancient Babylon was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Did you know that? It was an amazing empire. It was impressive. Everyone that went there was blown away at the order and the beauty from the plants to the food. And you heard that list that Cliff was reading. I'm not going to by the way, I'm not digging into every verse in this chapter. This is an overview, okay? I think it's easy enough to understand the flow. All the people that suffered judgment along with Babylon, they're mourning and they're grieving and they're lamenting because all these beautiful things that they enjoyed and profited from are going away. And they're giving a description of how beautiful and attractive and impressive Babylon was. Precious metals, jewels. It was called the jewel of the ancient world. And it had hanging gardens. I mean, I'm not going to, you probably know already a lot of this if you watch National Geographic. Or, it's legendary. And they're still doing excavations and learning more and more about how beautiful that this empire was at one time. And that's why I believe God uses that to describe how dangerous the spirit of Babylon is because it's very attractive. We're drawn to it. Like a kid in a candy store. There's all these sparkly things that offer hope and pleasure and satisfaction and identity and we want them. It's attractive. It's impressive. Even John the Apostle, in one chapter before this, I can't preach on two chapters. You wouldn't come. But chapter 17 is about Babylon too. Chapter 17 says that Babylon, it describes her like this, like a prostitute, a woman and she's sitting on top of many waters, which means people. Very pervasive. That's the next point. Um, and, it, and, it, and it talks about how she is, uh, she's beautiful and she's enticing people. She's seducing people. But I know, I know what my point was. I lost my train of thought. But John sees this vision of Babylon and it says, and he marveled. Here's John, the apostle, who's given this vision, and he sees it, and he knows God's warning his people, and John marvels, and the angel's like, snap out of it, snap out of it, it's evil, stop. 
Even John the Apostle is enticed by this. It's so beautiful. And you've seen that in movies or cartoons. Don't fly to the light, but I can't help myself. It's so beautiful, you know. That's Babylon. It's attractive. There's luxury there. All the beautiful clothing and the food and the pleasures and the entertainment. Who wouldn't want to enjoy those things? Who wouldn't want to go there? That's Babylon. That's how Satan works. There's, there's this empire that's energized by this satanic power and influence. 1 John 5.19 says, The whole world lies in the lap, in the sway, the influence of the evil one. The whole world. That's Babylon. You want to know who the architect of Babylon is? It's Satan. It's Satan. He's very crafty and very clever. More cunning than any beast of the field the serpent was. And that fruit that he offered Eve, it said when she saw that the fruit was a delight to the eyes, right? The senses. All that is in the world is passing away. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Babylon is beautiful and she's attractive. And it's everything that we would crave. The spices, the clothing, the wonder, the wealth, the power, it was vast. And Babylon is well connected. It says all the kings of the earth, all the merchants, all the seafaring men, the sailors. In chapter 17, it says this woman is sitting on many waters, that's people. And it says all those who dwell upon the earth are drunk with her wine and enticed by her sexual immorality. This empire is like connected. It would make Amazon look like child's play. And this was before the internet age. All these people that were running boats and commerce back and forth, they're mourning because their, their profit has been shut down. Babylon went everywhere. It was like this commerce hub center that supplied all the world with everything. It would be like in America, Nashville is the capital of what? Music. D.C. is politics. Uh, Help me out here. Hollywood is entertainment, right? This would be like all those little epicenters in one place. It's, it's economic, it's political, it's social, and it's even religious. All four of those are blended together in Babylon, and it's beautiful to people. They're like, man, who is like Babylon? Look at this. Nothing's like this. It's incomparable. It's majestic. It's impressive. And that's the draw. That's the draw. And the Bible says all of us are in danger of being seduced by her beauty and her impressiveness. We've, we're taken in, man. We're like sheep led to the slaughter. Just like Babylon is this carrot in front of us, right? It's a spirit of worldliness. Babylon, one person wrote, is not one kingdom in one place at one time. If it was, then coming out of her would be easy, which is a command. That's one of the only commands in this chapter. My people come out of her. If Babylon was just a nation again, man, that'd be easy. Or if Babylon was just a channel on the TV that you can change, right? Or music you could stop listening to. I mean, I, I'm just, I've told you this before. I'm a child of the 80s, and I grew up in the Bible Belt, the very buckle and worldliness was defined as things you drive, things you own, things you watch, things you listen to. And I can change all that. 
I can be in Babylon and just change my clothes. I can put on a suit and tie and then, then we're good, right? I can cut my hair, put my cards away, put my ACDC CDs away or whatever. And that was an overly simplistic way of, of, of explaining worldliness to a child of the 80s. I was so confused, I didn't get it. But Babylon, Babylon is much deeper than that. It's identity. It's like Babylon is offering you this identity. And it's already an identity that fallen part of you craves and wants. Babylon is going to offer you a security. It's going to, it's going to define for you what's valuable. Like beauty is a good thing. Wouldn't we all agree to that? Beauty is compelling and powerful. See, Babylon is going to tell you what beauty is and what beauty isn't. She's going to give you her own definition. And it's going to be different than God's. And all you have to do is just go look at an ad to find out what's beautiful, right? Or look at a men or women's fitness magazine. That's beautiful. That's Babylon. And it's not... Going to a gym is worldly. Do you see the difference? I'm not saying that. I think going to a gym is great. Our bodies are temples. Take good care of them so that you can serve Jesus for a long time and be healthy and not depend on medication and all the other stuff, which is a gift too. See, you're always in danger of having to qualify stuff when you're up here. <laughs> are you guys with me? All right. Just making sure. Babylon is attractive. It's everything that we would want. It would be like somebody seeing a celebrity. Oh! want to go meet it. That's Babylon. You're bedazzled. Everything your heart craves. Impressive, influential, but for all the wrong reasons. Next point. Babylon is pervasive. Not only is she attractive and impressive, she's pervasive. She's everywhere. And I've really already made this, this point. This is worldwide. Worldwide. I was talking to Sarah, my wife about this this morning. She said, yeah, you could go into the most remote jungle in the world and the spirit of Babylon is going to be there. <laughs> Do you get it? It's not just all oh, where there's like fancy cars and rated R movies. No, that may be an expression. You know, the filthy stuff, that may be an expression. But this is worldwide. It's everywhere. Anywhere there is a human heart and there is the presence of fallenness, which is everywhere on the earth. The slime of Adam's rebellion, Spurgeon said, covers the whole earth. There's no place that you can go and not see the effects of sin. The noetic effects in your mind or the fallenness of, of an earth that groans for redemption. You see it in politics. You see it in the economy. You see it in social things. You see it in false religions. It's everywhere. Everywhere. It's pervasive. She sits over many waters. And I don't know if you're like me. I used to think that in the Puritan days, 15, 16, 1700s, that people didn't struggle with the same things that, that I struggle with today and that maybe you do. I'm reading a biography right now of George Whitfield, And at the same time, I'm listening to George Marsden's biography of Jonathan Edwards. So two different men who played key roles in the great awakening of the mid-1700s. One was in England that came to America, Whitfield and the Wesleys. The other one was an American evangelist, Jonathan Edwards, who was in the colony, the 13 colonies up north. Okay, So I'm reading about the conditions that existed when these men were used by God instrumentally to bring an awareness of sin and, and, and gospel power. And it blew my mind. It was like I just read on Apple News this morning a description of Hollywood. That's what it read like. Seriously, prostitution, pornography, alcoholism, drugs, slavery, all of that. 
All of that was present in the 1700s. Conditions were deplorable in England. There was agnosticism. There was atheism. People made a mockery of Christianity. Did you know that when Whitfield was preaching in the colonies, people heckled him? And check this out. I, Danny, this is, my, this is my sense of humor. People threw dead cat parts at him when he was preaching. Now, it's not funny, but I, don't, I, read, I read that and I'm laughing because I'm, I'm thinking, God's so gracious. I'm up here preaching. Nobody's ever thrown a dead animal at me. Thank God. Can you imagine trying to preach when people did? And I'm thinking, how much do you, do you have to hate their message to do that? So if you're like me, you think, well, things were much better back then. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. That's an error that a lot of people believe. That things were much more simple. Maybe they were much more veiled and hidden. But the iniquity was there. In fact, go back to Genesis 6. God looked down on the world. He saw that the corruption of mankind was great and that every thought of the intention of the heart was only evil continually. Genesis 6. Six chapters. How bad was it? He destroyed it with a flood. We're no, there's no new evil under the sun. And the spirit, this spirit of Babylon's pervasive worldwide, chronologically, and geographically. It's everywhere. Well, that's an encouraging point, isn't it? <laughs> but it's the truth. And that's part of the means of escape, is that you have to know the truth. The truth will set you free from the lies that you believed. And you need both. The lies have to be exposed, and the truth has to be offered. Thank God for the book of Revelation. That's why there's a blessing. The people this was written to... We're drinking deep from the fountain of Babylon. It was Rome. Rome. Rome would have been the closest geographical thing to a rebuilt Babylon that they had. So, it's pervasive. And here's, here's the most dangerous thing. You're thinking, we're 23 minutes in. I know, but this is, it's okay. Seductive. Seductive. Not only is Babylon attractive... And Babylon is pervasive, and we're getting all that from this text. Babylon is seductive. The wine, the sexual immorality, and I know that we're not having childcare here, but hopefully we're old enough to understand that. Those are things like pleasure that seduce and entice, right? Those are things that draw you in. Sin always has satisfaction for a season. And there's always just this seduction, this powerful intoxication. And I, I was talking to my daughter about this. Do you know most of the blockbuster movies over the past decade or so, two decades, that were connected with blockbuster books, they all had this one thing in common. Now stick with me for a minute. They all had this one thing in common. Whether it's The Matrix or Lord of the Rings or Hunger Games or Divergent, all those are like trilogies, by the way, right? There's always this dystopian society. There's always an... E or Star Wars, too. Heck, Star Wars, man. That's the big one, right? The Force. Anyway, and that was a trilogy, too. So, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so, there, there's always uh, this evil empire, okay? And everyone that's in this evil empire is under its influence, and they're asleep, or they're blind, or they're naive. They don't get it. And then there's a hero or a heroine, a chosen one, an anointed one, a savior, a messiah, somebody whose eyes have been opened, right? And then they're on a mission. They're going to go back and they're going to rescue people. They're going to form a rebellion or a resistance, and they're going to go rescue people that have been held captive. And to me, like one of the clearest movies about that was, and this came out, man, I haven't seen this movie in years, so I, 
you know, if there's things in it that are bad, you know, just take, check it out before you watch it, all right? Um, but do you remember, like, even people said that had Christian themes in it. There was a guy named Neo, there was somebody named Trinity, I think even the battleship in that movie was called the Babylon or something. But basically, uh, the Matrix was this evil world system that exploited humans. The world was ran by evil robots, and it just like used humans for battery power. And then Neo came, and he was awakened, and he unplugged from the system. He unplugged, and he saw the truth. And, and then he was offered, remember the blue pill and the red pill? If you take the blue pill, you can go back to sleep, go back to Babylon, take a nappy nap. If you take the red pill, you'll see every lie, and you'll never be the same again. And he took the red pill, and there it is, the matrix. The resistance, the rebellion, the revolution, the rescue. It's interesting. It, does, it wasn't the group called Zion that was coming out of the Matrix. So anyway, I, I just find it interesting, guys, that every blockbuster movie has the same plot and subplot. Where do you think they get that? <laughs> J.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings and C.S. Lewis, used to argue about Christianity is the true myth. And don't be confused by that. They're not saying it's untrue. They're saying all the other myths and legends and stories are just echoes of the real truth story. The world lies in darkness. The evil architect Satan. The Bible says he blinds men and women to the truth and the glory and the power of Jesus and the gospel. We're asleep. We're blind. We're seduced. We're intoxicated. We're under the influence. And this is to awaken us, to slap us out of it. <laughs> it's like we're asleep. There's even the word sorcery used in this chapter. Did you know that? It's like Babylon has opiates in it. And you get addicted. And I think the word in Greek is, is pharmakos, pharma, which we get uh, pharmacology from. It's like they're offering you wine and sexual immorality and flattery and drugs. And then you're hooked. Then you've got to have Babylon and you belong to her. That's your new identity. It's Babylon. And you know what? That's so interesting to me. I, I was talking to Sarah. I think in the back today, they're talking about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did you know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not Hebrew names? Did you know that? They're Babylonian names. Now, why, why is that? Who changed their name? King of Babylon did. Because if you come into Babylon and you have an identity, I belong to Yahweh. I belong to the Lord God, the creator. You come into Babylon, you know what they're going to do? Oh, we got to change that identity. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can't keep your Hebrew name. Let me give you a new name. They tried that with Daniel too, Belteshazzar. He didn't take it. He's like, no, it's, it's Daniel. Daniel's my Hebrew name. Are you being seduced by Babylon to adopt the identity that she offers you? Or has Jesus already given you a security and identity that's enough? It's enough. I'm a child of the king because I belong to him. Pleasures forevermore. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And in his presence is fullness of joy. I don't need all this other garbage. Come out of her, my people. Don't believe the lie. Take the red pill. Escape. <laughs> Join the resistance. Be free of her. That's my favorite scene in Lord of the Rings. I love it. You were once a man of Rohan. Be free of him. You remember that? And he goes, be free of me, never. You can go watch it later. It's a good scene. It's clean. Seduction. That's the most dangerous part of this. 
If you like music and that helps you understand better, Emma Lou Harris wrote a song called Doing Time in Babylon. I'm going to read you some of the lyrics, okay? Five-lane highway, danger zone, SUV and a speakerphone. You need that chrome to get you home, doing time in Babylon. Cluster mansion on the hill, another day in Pleasantville. You don't like it? Take a pill, doing time in Babylon. In the land of the proud and free, you can sell your soul and your dignity for 15 minutes on TV, doing time in Babylon. So suck the fat, cut the bone, fill it up with silicone. Everybody must get cloned, doing time in Babylon. Get results, get them fast. We're ready if you got the cash. Someone else will be laughing last, doing time in Babylon. Oh, one more. Come on, one more course. So put that conscience on the shelf. Keep the best stuff for yourself. Let the rest fight over what is left. Doing time in Babylon. Do you hear all that? All the isms in there? Not just materialism. That's not the only thing that Babylon is. There's a lot of other isms too. David Wells defined worldliness like this. What any particular culture does to make sin seem normal and righteousness seem strange. That's worldliness. That's the Babylonian spirit. If living righteously, faithfully, and humbly on mission for Jesus makes you an outcast, that's Babylon that you're in, that you're fighting against. And if you're ridiculed for taking a stand not even for Christ by name, but just for good things. <laughs> it's Babylon. It's so easy to be seduced and to not realize it until it's too late. I took my family the other day to Ponce Inlet. You guys ever been to Ponce? There's a, a certain place in Ponce Inlet where a lot of people take their pets. It's pet friendly and dogs go on this beach. And it looks so calm and serene. And we had some new uh, snorkel gear that we got, mask and fins, and had all our six little kids. And I'm like, come on, y'all, jump in. So we jump in the water, and we're swimming, and there's this beautiful little seductive island over there. It couldn't have been 100, 100 feet, 200 feet away. And so I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swim over there, and you kids can follow me. So I'm swimming over there, and I'm swimming. And I've got flippers on, fins, flippers, and a mask, and I'm swimming and I mean, I, I'm not in the best shape in the world, but goodness, man, I can swim and I'm swimming and I'm swimming and it's been like 20 minutes and I'm in the same place. And so I stopped swimming and I'm looking at this sign that's right there and I'm moving and I'm like, oh my goodness, is this how it happens for people that don't have flippers and a mask? I'm like getting sucked out into the ocean and I'm hearing my wife, my wife scream, not screaming, but she's waving like, are you okay? And then my... Then my son yells something like, Hark, Hark, Shark, Shark. And I, I'm, this, you can't make this up, folks. I'm looking, and there's, Jackson, am I making this up? There's a fin. And thank God it was a dolphin, okay? It wasn't a shark. But like, I'm, I'm in this, this, on the surface, this water looks like crystal clear and serene. But man, when I stop fighting against the current, it's sucking me. Wherever it wanted me to go, I'm, I'm like a victim. I'm under the influence of this water that on the surface looks peaceful and inviting and beautiful and attractive, but underneath it's seductive and it's taking me wherever it wants to go. And I made it out alive, just, just so you know. 
me and my daughter and all our kids, we made it out alive, thankfully. And my father-in-law told me that his sister and his nephew almost drowned there. It took them all the way out past the jetty at Ponce. And she thought she was going to die. And that turned into a, uh, an occasion where she gave her life to Christ. Anyway, another story for another day. But now I know why, man. It looks so, I don't know. There wasn't big waves. It just seduced me. It sucked me right out. Now, there's so many ways to illustrate this. Frog in the kettle, you know. Frogs are cold-blooded animals. Now, I don't know who in the world ever did this. I certainly didn't. So don't, don't call me cruelty to animals. But I am told that you really can put a frog in a kettle of water and turn up the temperature and that the frog will boil to death. You know why? Because they're cold-blooded and they adapt. And it's not a shock to their system. That's not how the works, guys. That's not how Babylon works. That's not how cults work. There's no shock like, hey, you do believe that we, we believe that Jesus Christ was a created being and he was an angel and actually Lucifer's brother. They don't tell you that at your front door. They're like, oh, yeah, we believe Christian things. We believe Christian things. Turn the temperature up a little bit. <laughs> right? That's how materialism starts working on you. That's how identity politics starts working on you. We'll just turn the temperature up a little bit. And then one day, it's like boiling. It's like 500 degrees and you're, it's like lava. <laughs> you need to be shocked. You need to be woken. You need to unplug like the matrix. Take the red pill. See the truth. And jump out. That's what John's doing. She's doomed. She's going to be no more. He's, he's blowing the lid off of Babylon. You know the first few verses here, you know what it says? Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place for demons. A haunt for every unclean spirit. A haunt for every unclean bird. A haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Unclean, unclean, unclean. I, I have a little bit of OCD. 7-Eleven um, bathrooms make me really nervous. And I have kids and we travel sometimes. And sometimes we have to change a kid's diaper. And that's like a nightmare to me. Take this precious, clean little kid into this bathroom, and it's almost like a game to me. Don't touch anything unclean and change their diaper and come out <laughs> sanitized. Like, the floor is disgusting, stuff smeared on the wall. I, Sarah said, don't share that. I'm like, I, I want them to be grossed out. John wants you to be grossed out with Babylon. He wants you to see it for what it is. A 7-Eleven bathroom doesn't even come close to the filth and the corruption and the pollution of what John's talking about here. It's like when I take my kids in there, I don't ever use those diaper changer stations. You know why? Because people like me have already used them for something else. Like they're like a shelf to put all my stuff on so I don't have to touch the floor. I'm sorry, guys. I'm all over the place today. You get it? Babylon's filthy. It's dirty. It's corrupt. It's unclean. Get out of her. <laughs> it's going to take more than a mask to make you feel safe in Babylon, okay? You're already breathing in the fumes. It's this evil, oppressive system. Frog in the kettle. It weakens your ability. That's the first thing that alcohol does when you're under the influence. It weakens your ability to resist temptation. And it exaggerates the strengths that you think you have. You even see that when they're mourning Babylon, her resistance, her defiance, she says, I'm not going to be a widow. I'm not going to mourn. I sit as queen. I'm powerful. Earlier in the book of Revelation, Jesus writes a letter to the church of Laodicea and he says, look, you actually think that you're rich and that you see clearly and that you're clothed in luxurious clothing. Jesus says, I'm going to have to be the one to break it to you. You're blind, naked and poor and you need to come and buy from me. I can offer you clothing and eyesight 
and gold and riches that you think you have now, but you're impoverished. You're going to be embarrassed. And here's the scary thing. John's talking to people connected to the visible church. These are people who already identify in some way with Jesus. And I know it's easy for to say, yeah, these are the people that came on Easter and Mother's Day and Christmas. I don't think so. Those people would have been reading this epistle. These are people that are, they really are deceived. And that's the last point. Not only is Babylon attractive and pervasive and seductive, but she's also deceptive. And that's the worst thing. Because you see in here, in this chapter, that this city is filled with blood. Whose blood is it? It's filled with the blood of the martyrs, the prophets, the priests, the saints that have been slaughtered for their testimony. You know, Babylon was built, this empire was built on cruelty and oppression. People were used, slavery was used, people were exploited. Do you know how the empire of Babylon grew? They would go and they would threaten a neighboring empire. And they would say, look, surrender or else. It will not go well for you. And if the people resisted, then they enslaved all their people, brought them back, indoctrinated them with Babylonian worldviews, and made them slaves. And they're like, look how big Babylon is. Yeah, we know the truth, though. You've been deceiving us. It's built on cruelty. And man, their war tactics were barbaric. They would cut. We've got kids in here. It was not good what they did to people. They would, they would satanically cruel. They would invent new and, and, and cruel, vindictive ways to intimidate people into submitting so that their soldiers wouldn't actually have to go to war. And they would drag the kings off, pierce their nose, and drag them back to Babylon. This whole empire was built on cruelty. And so is the spirit of Babylon. The things you think you see in this world that are so beautiful. And now we're having all these movements, right? That you actually see, as Jeff Eckert used to say, you see how the sausage is actually made. You get to pull back the curtain and see who the Wizard of Oz is. You see all these Me Too movements. And for the people that speak the loudest about equality, when you look behind the curtain and they're championing late-term abortion, the hypocrisy is stunning. It's everywhere. The spirit is everywhere. It's deceptive. It is a deceptive spirit. One of my favorite blog writers is named Kevin DeYoung, and he wrote a blog about Babylon. And he said this. He said, every culture has its isms to tempt us to idolatry. In Africa, it may involve animism and polygamy. In South America, it might be syncretistic versions of Catholicism. That means different religious things merging together and forming one cohesive unit. In Asia, it may be ancestor worship. In America, the isms are a little different. And then he lists, now listen to this, okay? This is Kevin DeYoung. Scient, scientism, hope I get this, scientism. Truth is only found in what can be measured, tested, and published by peer review. Biological determinism, I am what my genes tell me to be. Journeyism, as long as I keep searching, maybe people will quit bothering me to find something. Experienceism, the good life can only be found through travel, adventure, and novelty. Protestism, if I always speak out against evil out there, I can ignore the evil inside here. Healthism, younger is always better, and when I get old, there is a pill and a video to help me feel young again. Entertainmentism, if it doesn't make me feel something right now, then it can't be worth my time. Voyeurism, 
My life is disappointing and boring, so I will do all I can to peer in on celebrities whose lives are more exciting and more dysfunctional. Sportsism. I live and die every weekend based on how well 20-year-olds push each other over while chasing the guy with the ball. Partyism. Life pretty much stinks most days, but once or twice a week, I have the time of my life. Later, I throw up. Politicism. Everything bad is the other guy's fault, and everything that needs to change in the world can be voted on by Congress. Familyism. Christ and his church take a backseat to soccer and band. Sexualityism. My parts are my business, and no God can tell me what they're for or when and how to use them or who with. Shoppingism. It's not idolatry if it's for my kids or on sale. Advocacyism. I care, therefore I am. And he didn't even mention consumerism, materialism, moralism, pragmatism, or all the other isms of our day that basically would all unite under this Babylonian symbol. It's ubiquitous, it's pervasive, it's deceptive, and it's seductive. It's unclean, it's deadly, it's violent, it's cruel. Culture around us can deceive us. I was reading earlier this week, do you know what one of the best-selling books of all time is outside the Bible? Anybody know? An allegory written by a man named John Bunyan. Not Paul Bunyan, that was another guy with a hatchet and a blue ox. John Bunyan wrote this allegory when he was in prison for 12 years in England for preaching the gospel. And it's this tale of Christian who's a pilgrim and he's making his way to the celestial city. And it's interesting in there, one of the allegories he used is a city called Vanity Fair. Have you ever heard of that? I told my wife, I said, there's a magazine actually called Vanity Fair. Did they get it from this? I don't know. That'd be bold. But Vanity Fair, it's the satanic city. Beelzebub is the master of the city. And uh, you got all these people selling their, selling their product that's evil. And Christian and Faithful, his friend, are going through that city and they get arrested because they're dressed differently, they talk differently, and they're not buying anything in that city. So they get thrown in the prison, persecuted, they get put on trial, and Faithful gets slaughtered. He gets martyred for his faith. But some of those people in that Vanity Fair city get rescued and follow them out. But it's interesting, at, at, at one part in there, um, John Bunyan writes this. He says, now, the way to Celestial City lies directly through this town where this lusty fair is kept. He who wants to go to the celestial city and yet refuses to go through this town has to go out of this world. In other words, we can't escape being in the world, right? In fact, we're supposed to have a presence here living as a faithful witness. The king of kings himself went here, talking about Jesus, went through this town to his own country. Yes, and it was Beelzebub, the chief lord of this fair, who invited him to buy of his vanities. Yes, he would have made him lord of the fair, would he have but bowed down to Beelzebub. And he's talking about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness with the devil. You remember that? <clears throat> he says, yes, but because this king of kings was such a person of honor, Beelzebub took him from street to street and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a short time that he might, if possible, allure and seduce the blessed one to yield and buy some of his vanities. But the king of kings had no desire for this merchandise. And therefore he left the town without spending so much as one 
penny upon these vanities. Don't you love that picture, that image of Jesus? Jesus was taken to the pinnacle of the temple and to a high mountain and showed all the kingdoms of this world and all their glory. And you remember what Jesus said? No thanks. He said no thanks. Like John Bunyan said, he didn't spend one penny. But you know what Jesus did spend? He purchased people out of that system, didn't he? He bought us out of the slave market of sin, Titus says. With the cost of his own life, he shed his own blood. We've been bought with the precious blood of Christ, Peter writes. Babylon the Great is destined to fall like a millstone tossed into the ocean. And what, what is our response? Look at verse 4. I'm going to close with this. I could say a lot more, but we've we got to close. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Verse 7, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. It's really interesting here. You read through this chapter, our response is to come out of her, be free of her. Now she's been exposed and God is calling us to be free, lest we take part in her sins. This is a warning that people who are connected to the visible church, and listen, that's you and me, right here in this room, this message is just as applicable and urgent for you and I as it was for anybody in that, in that time. We could face judgment if we don't come out of Babylon and be free of her. We'll receive the payment that her sins have, have earned her and receive the plagues. And nobody wants that. Come out of her. Be free of her. And then it also says, and this is, this is a hard pill to take, but it actually commands for the saints to rejoice when she's judged. Isn't that crazy? I find it hard to rejoice over people who are facing judgment. I really do. But the Bible says there's coming a day at the end of history when the Babylonian spirit is going to be cast into the sea and when the new city that's clean, not unclean, that's beautiful but not seductive, <laughs> that's rich but not at the expense of people's lives, is going to float down from heaven. And we're going to be invited into her. And the Bible says we're going to rejoice over God's justice and calling to account those who have wronged him and each other. So how do you come out of Babylon? Just two, two points here, and then we're on our way. Two points. How do you combat deception? What do you combat lies with? Truth. John chapter 8, what did Jesus say? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But guys, there's a condition. We can, we can wave the Bible in the air and say, the truth shall set you free. But John says, you got to know it. you got to know that truth. This is my desire. We talk about this as leaders and elders all the time. My desire for this congregation is that you would know the truth and that you would know all the things that the truth of the Bible point to, the person and the work of Jesus Christ and all that he is for us. That you would know that truth. That's why I preach the Bible. That's why I preach long sermons. Listen, guys, Grace Life is not going to be a church where I show up and give you a 10-minute pep talk and a little devotion, and then you're on your way. Sometimes I preach 50 minutes. I hate that because I want to do a better job. Some stuff I share is not as important as others, and I want to be succinct and concise and all of that. I'm, pray for me. I'm getting better. 
This is never going to be a church where I give you a 10-minute pep talk and a devotion and you're on your way. We go deep here. Because I want you to know the truth and I want you to be excited about it and understand it. That's why I use illustrations that offend some people. He talked about a movie. Well, most of us have seen it. Why not use it, right? <laughs> I try to use clean stuff and safe stuff. But I want you to know the truth so that you can combat the deception. If you don't know the truth, you're not going to be set free. And listen, knowing the truth, I hope it doesn't feel like I'm scolding you today. I'm not. I want to encourage you. Knowing the truth has got to be deeper and broader than you just showing up on Sunday. I love it that you hear that you're here. I hope you come every Sunday. I hope that things like sports and other things don't crowd out opportunities for discipleship. But <laughs> there's a but attached to this. I hope that this is just the tip of the iceberg of what you're getting in Scripture. I can offer Bible studies all week long, and you come and you sit and you listen. And I want to. If we had a building, we'd offer more. But if you're not reading the Bible on your own, sacrificing time that you could spend doing other things, watching TV, reading other books, if you're not doing that, guys, the swim, it's like you're, you're like me in that ocean, and you've just taken your flippers off, okay? Swim's going to be a lot harder. Because what John's calling us to do is to swim, come out of her. Don't go with the flow. Don't drink the wine. Don't take the opiates. Don't go to sleep. Wake up. And that's going to take you being responsible and reading the word on your own. That's why we have community groups. That's why we have men knowing God, women knowing God that direct you to word-based discipleship. And that's why we have discipleship groups that you can grab another brother in Christ or sister in Christ, link arms, and read the word. Keep each other accountable. Pray with one another. Bear one another's burdens. It's got to be more than you just coming and hearing somebody else teach you the Bible. That's wonderful. I'm obviously a huge advocate of it, or I wouldn't have a job, right? But it's got to go deeper than that, guys. I want to call you. Know the Word. You can. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. He authored the Bible. He, you have a resident teacher living within you that can unveil for you the beauties and the truths of the Bible and help you combat the deception. Be a lifelong learner of the Bible. That's the greatest means of fighting against the deception that God has put into your hands. And men and women have shed blood to preserve this. I know we read this and we think, ah, oh, the city's filled with the blood. Ah, this is America. It sure is. And I want to tell you something. I went to London, England one year before we planted this church. And I had a buddy of mine that graduated seminary with me, and he, he's English, Tom Dreon. He planted a Grace Life Church in the heart of London. And I went to his church and preached for him. But he was taking me all through the city. He said, this is where Hugh Latimer got burned at the stake with Ridley. And this is where so-and-so was beheaded in the Queen Watch. This is where this martyr happened that you read about in Fox's Book of Martyrs. I'm like walking through this city that's filled with the blood of the saints. And I come back to America and I'm reading a passage like this and it doesn't, it doesn't click with me. Because I'm like, this is America. We were built on... Christian principles, and our founders were believers, some of them, most of them. And this will never happen here. Yes, it will happen here. <laughs> it will happen here. All the nations have drunk of the wine of the sexual immorality of Babylon. And friends, this wine is hostility against God and oppression. against. If Satan is the architect of this empire, you can bet that this is culture opposed to God. And if you're not facing persecution and oppression of some kind, man, just I just say check your faithfulness. Do you have your flippers on? And are you swimming upstream? Are you living countercultural? 
Because listen, there's, there's three ways that you can respond to this culture wrongly. One, you can attack it. You can attack the culture. And there's plenty of Christians that do that. That's their whole ministry is they're going to attack the culture, attack the, the culture is the enemy. They're going to attack it. Or you can abandon the culture totally and say, I'm out of here. You won't even find me. Don't even Google my name. I'm out of here, baby. <laughs> there's people that actually did that and missed the first coming of Christ. They lived out in the region of the Dead Sea in caves, and they found them years later. That's where the Dead Sea Scrolls came. Caves of Comron, of, uh, anyway, I forget the name. Um, so you can attack the culture, you can abandon the culture, or the third wrong way is you can totally assimilate and just be absorbed in it. And you look no different than a Babylonian. Oh, look, here's Tommy. He says he's a Christian, but he's a Babylonian. We changed his name. This is Shadrach, right? By the way, those three men resisted that. But we just have their, we, the Babylonian names kept. Maybe it's easier to say. <laughs> so those are three wrong ways to relate to the culture. Attack it. Abandon it. What was the other one? Assimilate. Thank you. Just make sure you're listening. What's the right way? What's the right way to live in Babylon? To maintain a faithful witness in Babylon. Well, just read the book of Daniel. What did Daniel do? Daniel said, I don't want the, the king's wine. I don't want his dainties. I've got a better way. And it says, when Daniel and his friends stood before the king, they were found in appearance. What does it say? Seven times better. <laughs> right? We ought to have a faithful presence in Babylon, and we ought to join the resistance. Join the city of Zion and rescue people that have been held captive by its lies. There is a way to faithfully live in Babylon. How you combat the deception is the word of God. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. My goodness, it's 54 minutes. Last one. Here's the last one. How do you combat the seduction? We know how you combat the deception, the truth. How do you combat the seduction? Here's how some people combat it. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to see. And there's a time you do that. You flee sexual immorality. I want to tell you a quick story. It's one of my favorite stories, and Larry Kirk uses this story too. There's a Greek legend. There was a man named Ulysses, and he was on a journey. He was on a ship with his men, and he was getting close to an island where the sirens lived. You remember the sirens in Greek mythology? They were these beautiful women that they, like mermaids, and they lived in the ocean, and they sang this beautiful, seductive song, and it lured sailors to the rocks, and their ship would be wrecked, and then those sirens would devour them. So Ulysses knew about this. So he said, men, here's what we're going to do. All of you guys shove wax in your ears and bind me to the sail with strong ropes. And no matter what I tell you, don't let me go. And that's what they did. And they, they sailed near the sirens. And Ulysses' men were rowing. They didn't hear anything. And Ulysses was driven mad. He was going crazy. Tear me loose. Their music, it's too much. That's how Ulysses combated the song of the sirens. That's how he combated the seduction. And a lot of Christians do it that way, but I want to submit to you there's a better way. Jason and the Argonauts. Do you remember this Greek legend? Jason was on a ship with his men too, and he was getting near the sirens and their seductive music began to be, their music began to play and their voices, and it was seducing the men. And they were jumping over the side of the boat and Jason, he had a musician on his boat named Orpheus. And Orpheus was a legend in Greek. He took out his his harp, his lyre, and he began to strum it and sing. And the music was so much more beautiful and sweet than the sirens' music that it overpowered the seductive voice. And the sirens actually went mad. 
and the men were singing and rowing on their way to safety. That's the gospel. <laughs> and it's a much better way. So often as Christians, we just put our hands on our ears and we say, that's so attractive, that's so beautiful, that's so seductive, I want it. When it's like, look what God has offered you though. It's so much more powerful and beautiful and clean. And you can do this in your own time. Go and read the vision of the new heavenly holy Jerusalem coming down and contrast Babylon with the city, the new Jerusalem. And look at the contrast. It's stunning. It's astonishing. And we're going to be there one day. <laughs> and that the only blood in that city is the blood of the lamb. And we're going to be cleansed and we're going to be redeemed. And it doesn't deceive the nations. It heals the nations. It unites the nations. It's going to be beautiful. So come out of her, my people. <laughs> Don't be seduced by her beauty. Don't be deceived by her lies. Jesus offers you better security. He offers you better comfort. He offers you a better identity. Are you hearing his music? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the truth today. I pray that at least one person in here, Lord, maybe a sentence or a paragraph or just a scripture or a prayer or a lyric in a song, grip them. And as we just take this time to just pause and reflect May the power of your word hit us, Lord. May it transform us. May we not live in fear because we, we, we know the truth. We've seen the truth. We belong to the, to the one who is the truth, Lord. We have been rescued and resigned. We belong to the, to the heavenly host of Zion. Now, thank you so much for that. May we be a part of the resistance and part of the rescue. May we live faithfully in this fallen world. And draw people's attention to the saving, transforming power of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you're new here, what we usually do is we have a song of reflection where the worship team plays. And I think maybe the lyrics will be up here if you want to follow, but it's a quiet instrumental song. Right, guys? Yeah. And this is a time for you to just think and pray. Maybe you know somebody that's been drinking the wine of Babylon. Maybe you have. And God wanted you to show up today and hear this message. And he wants you to reflect deeply. What are your values? Where are you getting your identity and your security from? Is it from Christ? Is it from believing the gospel? Belonging to him? It's not just changing the channel, guys. It's changing your story to one that has a happy ending. <laughs> a better ending than the one Babylon will offer you. So you think about that today. We have a prayer team in the back. If you want to come and talk to them. Maybe you want to join this church. Maybe you have a question about what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe you want to confess a sin, pray for healing. You're sick. You want to share your burden. This is your time to do that. And the rest of us can just reflect and pray and think. And then Megan's, I think Megan is going to come and uh, share some announcements and dismiss us. Guys.
Thank you, worship team. Got just a few announcements for you this week. Um, the tech team training is uh, today, this Sunday, um, immediately following the service. Um, if that's something that you were interested in, but maybe didn't have a chance to reach out to Diane or RSVP, please um, hang out with us and, and stay. We'd love to have you if that's um, an area of ministry that you're interested in or interested um, in serving or learning more about. Um, we'd love to have you. So I just thought I'd mention that really quick. Um, and then we've got Men Knowing God coming up this week. This past week, we had an awesome um, summer event for Women Knowing God. Um, if you were unable to attend, um, Melissa was super um, gracious in compiling a bunch of resources from the meeting. Um, if that's something that you're interested in um, accessing women, you can email me at contact at gracelifeflorida.com and I can get those to you. Um, and men, you'll be meeting, sorry, I'm confusing our tech guys back there. Um, men, you guys are meeting this week, um, Thursday, July 16th from 7 to 8.30. Um, just like the women, if you are um, not comfortable at this time meeting in person, um, the the meeting will be available via Zoom um, link as well if you want to join um, remotely. Um, and then just to give you a little overview like I did last week, Men Knowing God and Women Knowing God are just an opportunity for us as a church to connect um, women with each other and men with each other on a smaller scale um, just so you can you know, gather, grow, and go together um, we're going to just kind of dig into God's word. I know Brent has um, a core theme. I know that he's following um, that night. If you're interested in attending and you want um, the address to the Roths home, that's in our church center app, or I can also get that to you via email. Um, it's also on our website. If you click events, um, the, all of the information, Zoom link, address, everything is right there for you. Um, if you're watching via live stream, just so you know, that's where that info is as well. And then I've got for you also coming up in August, we're going to have a community facilitator and host home interest meeting. Um, we're preparing for the next season of community um, groups, and that will start in early September for everyone. Um, but for this meeting, if you'd like to know more about how you can serve um, by facilitating a community group or just hosting a community group um, within your home, um, this meeting would be something great for you. To attend. Um, that'll be August 2nd, immediately after the service here, and lunch will be provided. Um, and then lastly, the Nugents. Um, many of you know that they're moving. Um, uh, Joe has served as an elder for our church, and we're just greatly blessed by him, by Marilyn. We have um, just a little book for them. Um, it's the next exit. It's a kind of a cute little travel book. If you all um, just would take some time to leave some encouragement, we have sticky notes and pens, um, write something down for them, you know, to, to see when they're flipping through this, you know, map book, um, stick it on a page, you know, for them to find. We'd love for you to do that for them. Just some, just a neat little gift that we have um, for them before they go. So I just wanted to let you guys know that that's in the lobby as well, if that's something you'd like to participate in. And then lastly, if you'd like to stand with me, we'll say our charge before we head out. Okay. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent.